internet friends, and welcome back to Love Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm Andy Bowell. And I'm Alex Ruiz, and as always, we are here to brighten your day, anger your soul, and tell you how to live your lives in that order. And Andy, uh, I don't want to talk about our topic ahead of time, <laughs> but the problem is that, like, our topic is kind of, you know what, you know what, I'm not even going to get into it. I'm not going to talk about quarantinings and and current events right at the top because we're going to talk about it later. Exactly. So the first thing I'm going to tell you is I spent the weekend babysitting a uh, wonderful puppy in my friend Ellen's beautiful hundred-year-old house where I got to, like, play the piano and watch, like, a movie that's actually going to be on your other podcast in a couple of months uh, with my lovely wife, and it was a fantastic weekend. So I'm going to be positive for once, and it hurts me <laughs> in my soul. Well, uh, so this comment isn't going to help, but did you feel terribly white? Because <laughs> that was a very what? Caucasian weekend you just listed. What, like dog sitting? 100-year-old house is what I clued in on, but... I mean, that's fair. At, okay, so Asheville is weird because, like... It only really got to be a heavily, I don't even want to say heavily industrialized because it's still like a, there's still less, less than 100,000 people around here. But like for a very long time, it was a quaint, quiet little mountain town that was notable only because it had a weird cross section of like hippies and homosexuals. And oh. it was kind of like, well, this is strange. This is like, this neighborhood came right out of San Francisco, but it's in the Appalachian Mountains for some reason. And that was really the most unique thing about it. But there's a lot of, I mean, there's there's frankly a certain amount of just older real estate, older buildings just kind of around. Um, I'm not going to say they're expensive as shit, but, you know, in fairness, now that I think about the caucasity my friend Ellen's uh, house is down the street from both a Trader Joe's and a Harris Teeter. That's a word I've never heard before. <laughs> you never heard of a Harris Teeter? No. Harris Teeter is, um, I'm trying to think what the best Florida reference is, because I want to compare it to like a 24-hour Wegmans, but I don't think you know Wegmans, because I mean, Wegmans, Wegmans is kind of a Northeastern yeah. thing. Yeah, okay. So my explanation of Wegmans was it's like Whole Foods and Publix fucked and had a fucked up little flipper baby. Um, I think my explanation of Harris Teeter is it's a 24-hour Wegmans, which is to say it's like a Publix and a Whole Foods fucked and had a fucked up flipper baby. And that flipper baby is like tweaked out of its mind and awake 24 hours a day. Fair enough. I, I was trying to, like, you said Harris, what is it? Harris what? Harris Teeter. My mind just instantly goes into, like, a Ken Burns documentary. Harris Teeter was a Confederate surgeon who pulled a slug out of, like, especially if he was in North Carolina, then, like. I will tell you this story. Uh, a, a, a friend of ours, uh, this couple actually there who've been in Asheville for years and years and years and years and years. Uh, it was a very big deal when this Harris Teeter opened and there were like people lined up, excited to get in. And the local news was interviewing people waiting to get in, 
which included these two friends of mine, uh, a married couple, a man and a woman. And they interview. They were interviewing the uh, the woman of the couple, and she was like, "I'm very excited. You know, it's going to be such a great addition to our community." And they open up the doors, and in this news broadcast, apparently, they look over. They turn over to the husband, and he just goes. He just looks dead in the camera, and he just goes, "It's tea time," which is what we say when we go to Harris Teeter. Yeah, fair. It's teat time. Fair. Everybody enjoys teat time. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. Uh, Some of us were bottle fed, Andrew. Uh, Yeah, some of us weren't, and now we have oral fixations. (laughs) Oh, don't get me wrong. I still have an oral fixation. Like, thank God I quit smoking, because, like, now I just stick my fingers in my mouth, which we'll talk more about how you shouldn't (laughs) stick your fingers in your mouth. I love it. Uh, but you know, it's just, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to get into the psychology of that. That's, that's a whole nother, that's a, that's probably a whole nother podcast. It's just like, what's my psychological damage with Alex and Andy? I mean, I, I know mine, but like, <laughs> yeah, which one of mine do you want to talk about? That honest to God just sounds like coming to iHeartRadio, like, that sounds like a real show. And I was, I was ruminating earlier today about how just like in 40 years, we're going to be talking about the podcast boom and like, it's going to be some footnote in somebody's textbook about the McElroy media empire about how there were thousands of podcasts at its heyday because of the accessibility of the platform and it like i've never read a zine but i feel like it's going to be a lot like that only like there's just a lot more there are dozens of thousands of podcasts that i don't even listen to <laughs> yeah no i, I we've talked about this on the show i'm absolutely oh, we certain there podcasting is 100 Podcasting is 100% a bubble, and that bubble will burst at some point. The difference is, because podcasting is such low buy-in, again, a lot like zines, I... (sighs) Zines and the entire punk rock scene... Punk rock scene blew up. Like, it started definitely in that late 70s. There was the 80s underground era. There was that late 90s into the 2000s, like, full-on boom, where suddenly, you know bands that came up in those underground punk scenes were suddenly huge and really popular and then you know that kind of died off but that scene existed before it still exists now like you can still go to punk shows now and the thing of it is it will never die because it's very very low buy-in i can play a full rig at a punk show with maybe $500 worth of equipment. It's not going to sound great, but you don't need that much to sound pretty okay in a basement, which is where you're doing a lot of that stuff. With podcasting, I mean, I just, you you know, with, with I I just got a new, like, fancy, uh, brand new iPhone that's my work iPhone, and I was sitting here setting it up, and it straight up got an app for recording podcasts right in it. 
And I guarantee you, if it's anything like the camera setup on an iPhone, it's fucking great. And it sounds good out the box. And that's, you know, the biggest investment you have to make for podcasting is just making sure that you have sufficient equipment for it to sound good. Hosting is easy, honestly. Like, we started this off with a very cheap server. And I found out that there are ways to do it for free just by manipulating Google. It's not ideal but it works you know you can theoretically do a podcast with just the equipment that you probably already have like download an app two people talking it's do i i really i listened to the new i listened to a house to astonish episode today and again i told you guys when we talked about that particular episode that particular podcast as a love it's two people just talking about things that they care about there's the 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 only quote unquote sound effect is they have intro and outro music. Everything else is just two guys with a microphone talking. And it's a podcast that I love and I'm very loyal to. I don't see podcasting going away going away. I see it no longer being the cultural tour de force that it is now. Yeah, absolutely. Um I agree with that, but I'm happy to sit in the bubble for as long as possible. <laughs> I'm sorry. We missed the boat on the bubble. We That's really the other did, thing. Yeah. Like if we had started like five years earlier, we could probably just like at that point where iHeartMedia was picking shit up left and right or whatever other podcast company was just like, okay, we need stuff. Uh, here's a podcast that's been around for like five years. Let's just hire them. Like, not to say it's that easy. It really, it wasn't even that easy for those people. But, you know, it, it was never going to happen for us, Andy. We were never going to make it big in podcasting. I know. We just do this because it's fun. And it is fun. No, when I want to make it big, uh, I'll, I'll start a blossoming TikTok career. <laughs> Your ass recently introduced me to TikToks and, oh, the youth. The youths of today. I can't judge, I can't judge them because, you know, when we were their age, we were laughing uproariously about a song about buying shoes and would never stop saying, talking about how our spoon was too big and you'd have to take a nap before firing missiles. So... Is this any worse? Is any of it any worse? No, and this is a conversation for another time, but the like the evolution of technology is such a interesting factor, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. What we are here to talk about today, if you're still with us and you are not a douchebag, um, <laughs> is a really really good sport that I consider a sport. Alex, I'm drowning here. <laughs> Do you want to talk about your love? <laughs> <laughs> Why did you skip the format, Andrew? We've been so good about giving the format up front. Folks, this is love-hate relationship. Um, following an initial, like, yeah, 10-ish minutes of us just kind of bullshitting around so that people we hate will turn off the podcast, uh, we get into our topics, which include one topic of something we love, one topic of something we hate, and uh, a question that we take sometimes from you, sometimes from the internet. We see what happens, and uh, on this particular go-around, I get the love. Andy, 
Has my life preserver saved you? Yes. Yes, okay. thank you. This is not the first time you've saved me. <laughs> it's funny because I guarantee you're a better swimmer than I am, but um, I guess I'm better in a crisis than you are. Who the you fuck You would knows? be better. Okay, no, no, no. You would be better at throwing the life preserver than I am. I have zero doubt about that in my mind. Here's the thing. I could make the life preserver go far. You overestimate my ability to aim for anything. <laughs> like, the life preserver will get to you. It'll be like 12 feet away, and I'll have to pull it over a little closer. But what are you going to do? Shall we start? Please. Please, let's okay. start. Why would I... I don't understand. Well, actually, we'll talk about it, but I, I'm not sure I agree that my topic is a sport. But, um, you know, we'll have a conversation. Andy, I always like to start my segments, whether I'm doing a love or I'm doing a hate, by asking you a question. So here's what I want, dear boy. I want you, this isn't even a question. This is more of an imperative. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, Go back to second grade grammar and just be like, this is a command. Andy, I want you, please, dear boy, uh, light of my heart, to tell me about your favorite board games. Okay. And that's an important clarifier because if you had just said game in general, I would have talked about how, you know, this will be a love at some other point, but I would have gotten to a whole spiel about the, you know, my five minute love on D&D. I think D&D arguably is not a board game. It's a tabletop game and there is a difference well and i i do mention i did mention in my notes to you i'm okay if you want to talk about tabletops or if you want to talk about something a little more milton bradley or even something a little more indie i'll take card games too um but you know i my basic thought is i want to get an idea for what your i'm in my home playing a game with like cardboard and paper kind of experiences okay um i love in the grand oh 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 okay no it took me a second but i got there fucking scrabble it's holidays and family yeah it's scrabble america's good time game really absolutely oh yeah the boels are a scrabble household oh oh how have we never played Scrabble, Andrew? I don't know, but we're going to have to rectify that. I'm, I need to see if the amount of curse words you can come up with are as like hilarious as the ones I can. Ah, um, uh, but you see, you see, my child, the key to Scrabble is not to master the curse words, but to master the two and three letter words. Sure. Well, I'm an asshole at Scrabble. I'm a monster. <laughs> I think we figured out what our first like video cop bonus content is going to be <laughs> a recorded Scrabble match between us and our lovely wives. <laughs> oh man. But no, I honestly, cause like I'm, I'm sitting here being like, okay, I had a real affinity for mousetrap because of the rude Goldberg ness. Like I, I could, I could fucks with a game of Mal or there was this other card game that I can't remember the name of, but like the more people, the better, the more decks of cards, the better. And it was basically like four different people all trying to play solitaire at the same time and stealing each other's cards. It was, it, it is a truly exciting 
fun ass simple card game and i cannot for the life of me remember the name for it but like as a whole scrabble just it is it is so fun to try and like not only set something up but then you know you you were able to play off somebody else it's the competitiveness of trying to come up with the best most creative most point scoring word mixed with like you know the the petty assholishness of sticking an r at the end of something somebody already did and taking credit for that like it, it scrabble is a, a a whole hell of a lot of fun i think i could entirely see like a certain number of episodes down the line us doing i like either me doing another love on scrabble or us doing a double on scrabble be- or a, rather a triple on scrabble because I do love me some. Scr- I debated talking about Scrabble instead of uh, the game that I'm going to be talking about, but I I did not know your history with Scrabble, Andrew. Oh, I'm, dude, yeah. <laughs> for some reason, your family seems more like a Risk family to me, but oh, it, Risk! I have an abiding love of Risk. I completely forgot about that. Not as much as my abiding love for Scrabble. Like, like there were for from like the ages of 11 to 15 maybe it was like a standing tradition new year's eve you play scrabble before everyone starts paying attention to the ball drop that's adorable actually um i have a scrabble travel set that the next time i visit orlando i'm totally bringing please yeah or the next time you visit me we're totally playing cuz i don't have full full size scrabble because um, Stephanie doesn't like to play Scrabble with me because I'm a monster. Uh, but I do have a travel set that I bought at a yard sale for like seven bucks and I love it so much. Well, I may live to regret this, but you're on my friend. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, well, I appreciate that, Andrew. And, and you know what? I love that you brought in a family connection because that's definitely something I'm going to talk about. Uh, my topic, as I said, is not Scrabble, but rather a different, uh, very well-known, arguably better well-known board game than Scrabble. And that, to my, um, to, to, to the supreme credit of my nerd cred, is chess. Yes! <laughs> now, for listeners, for context, Andy, we've been doing this podcast for almost two years at this point like we're past the year and a half mark i'm pretty sure oh yeah and we and in that original document that i sent to you way back when where i just had a giant list of potential loves i talked about putting to i i mentioned passingly that i was interested in talking about chess and i distinctly remember like next to it i think i put a parenthetical where i was like yes I mean it, chess. World's most dangerous game. The most dangerous game? What could it be? <laughs> um, because I absolutely love chess. It's 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 a game that is extremely dear to my heart. Uh, when I discover people who know how to play it, I am immediately excited, and uh, and I want to talk about it with you today, dear boy. So and I'm extremely happy to talk about that with you. Fantastic. Real quick, you're familiar with chess, right? Like, you do you know you how to play I have it? Played chess, motherfucker. 
Oh yeah, I forgot about that. There's a that. picture of us in New York, like pointedly played, in Central Park playing chess. We played chess <laughs> in Central Park. I'm gonna have to dig that up and stick that on the Twitter now. Who won that one? I think you did, but that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, I think chess is fairly universally well-known, at least probably more universally well-known than some of the things where I kind of went, like, I remember when you talked about The Hobbit, you kind of went, oh, everyone knows The Hobbit, and right, I maybe called right. you out a little bit. I think chess is a little better than that, but I still want to be mindful. Sure, so, of course. brief overview, history. Um, I think chess is pretty recognizable to most, um, though in my experience, it can be an interesting gap in a lot of people's training and experience. There are a lot of people who I think like maybe casually learned a little bit about how to play chess when they were kids, but it never sank in or they never stuck with it. I have taught several children and adults both how to play. Uh, but basically, two-person game played on an 8 by 8 checkered board with 16 individual pieces, each with certain moves they are allowed to make. The object is to trap an opponent's king in checkmate where it isn't taken the way other pieces are but put in a place where it could theoretically be taken and nothing could be done to stop that uh the game as we know it today is actually believe i didn't know this until i actually researched this uh it's believed to be descended from an indian game called chaturanga which uh anyone who does yoga is familiar with uh part of the warrior series a movement called chaturanga Uh, yeah, no, I didn't know that. Never played Chaturanga in my life, but apparently it is descended from that. Uh, if you actually look up Chaturanga, there are some definite superficial similarities, especially in the board layout, but it's an Indian game that dates back to at least the 7th century, uh, was imported to Europe sometime in the 9th century, and the game as we know it today mostly came into being in Spain in the late 15th century with some adjustments and, you know, add-ons, takeaways, changes in the game. The formal rules as we understand them today were codified in the 19th century when you had formal, like, there, they established formal academies and leagues and world competitions for chess. Uh, for... And just from there, from the late 1800s onward, chess has been kind of a central game, uh, both to the development of game theory philosophies, uh, as well as to kind of being a geopolitical showcase. Anyone who's yeah. familiar with, you know, the stor- the Cold War stories uh, with Boris Spassky and Bobby Fischer, like, chess was a big fuck-off deal as far as international relations like kind of weirdly so there are whole libraries devoted to just individual schools of thought for how to succeed in it and different methodologies and programming chess algorithms were actually one of the first and most important methods of developing early ai i feel like at least at least in the western world Chess is quite possibly one of those handfuls of really, really essential cultural touchstones. I can go to 
possibly any bar in South America where, you know, they speak Spanish, a language that I also speak, and conceivably find chess boards and people who could play chess if it's the kind of place that just has old folks. There are chess boards set up in the park in downtown Asheville that I walk by on a regular basis. As you just reminded me, you and I played chess in Central Park when we were teenagers. Can't believe I forgot that. But it is... It's this tremendous cultural touchstone that if it's not universal, at least in the West, I feel like it's kind of as close to universal as you can get. I would agree with that. No, yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with that. It's like... You know, earlier we talked about the evolution of technology, like changing how the youths interact with stuff. But I think back to when I was a kid, like chess was the, wasn't the hot shit. I mean, we had Game Boys and Pokemon. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. It was the first, like... It was it was a thing in schools that was still like a game, but also had such an intellectual component to it, and was put on kind of like this this high up pedestal. It was it was the more like you know you learn to play checkers when you're four, and this was the hyper complex like next step, the the thing to make you think harder while still having fun and still enjoying it, like. Like chess was an insanely big deal. Chess was, you know, one of the arenas of the Cold War. Um, And that's the thing that I think really ties it into like how important it was in the Western world is we're sitting here having like, you know, chess competitions versus the Russian masters. Or, I mean, just like you said, the fact that like just about any big ass park in America probably has like a chess board or two in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a, it's, you're right. Not everybody knows it, but I, I really do feel like it's, if, if you know a tiny bit about it, then you know and understand everything about it. And it, it's, it's fun game. Like I, I I'll go ahead and let you know, I was a hundred percent part of the chess club in my elementary school. And that is how I learned to play. That's so cute. Um, the only reason I wasn't part of any D&D club is because such a thing didn't exist. So you bet your ass I was part of the chess club and learned sure. the Queen's Gambit and all that shit. Um, mm. No, I, I love chess. If, if I'd thought about it and if uh, this wasn't the time to do a triple love, but we probably could have like made a triple love out of it as it is. Like, I'm just very happy to be talking about it. And I, I think you're absolutely right. It's it's. It's such a intellectual thing, I feel like. And it's not even necessarily that you have to be smart to play it. But, like, I always think about how it's the game of kings, quote-unquote. And that is such a fascinating bar to me. Like, this is the thing that, you know, kings in Spain and Burgundy and Portugal played against each other because they were like okay let's be more civil we could just have our armies smash against each other but we are going to be like more intelligent men 
and have this battle of wits with each other for the fate of our worlds. Like there's something so romantic to that in like the capital R romantic age sense that I love. Sure. I, I really love that perspective on it. And, and it's funny because I I think you alluded to this. It's a very simple game to just learn the rules of. Yeah. It's not complicated to learn, okay, a pawn does this, moves a pawn moves forward once, twice at the beginning, if you want, takes a piece diagonally, there's eight of them, a queen can move as much as she wants in any particular direction, a knight does the two to two and then one, like, can leap over pieces, like, all these, all the rudimentary details of chess, you can teach those to someone in a few minutes. You can even, like write someone out a cheat sheet and then while they're playing their first few games go all right yeah the castley one that's the rook and it play and moves you know horizontally and uh vertically and then the one with the pointy top that's the bishop and it only moves diagonally and you can you can do that those lessons are very very quick to learn but you can spend a lifetime studying actual games and learning how people do things. Uh, I mentioned in my notes to you that if you if you're someone who actually studies chess games, and I haven't done a lot of this, I have done a little bit because I I'm not a huge chess nerd. I don't sit down and watch like World Championship chess every year, even though there is World Championship chess every year. But I have gone on YouTube and watched a chess game more than once. I have read a few books about chess. So while it's not an obsession, something I've picked up in the little bit of that education is if you know what to look for, you can see a player's style in like the exact same way that you'd be able to recognize a musician's voice or tone. Uh, Just those little influences and, and that little bit of individuality that they have to them. When we talked about Bad Out of Hell, I mentioned that like you can recognize Steinman anywhere. Mm-hmm. When I talked about Desmond Child, I talked about how I can recognize his songwriting anywhere. There's something about these little dynamics that he loves to use that just make it so that I can totally recognize his his songs, even if it's between completely different artists. And you can real if you study chess players, if you study chess games, you can see that. You can sit here and watch. Okay, I understand that this is a Fisher opening. I understand that this is. I, I'm. I hate that I'm blanking on like. There's only like four famous chess players like fucking ever. <laughs> but like, and and again, I'm not enough of a student to remember like who the big grandmasters of the moment right now are, but. There is something to that individual style where you figure out, like, there's... I'll tell you right now, if you play with me, I am a, I am a player who relies very heavily on my rooks and my knights. Because I feel like everybody goes for queens, but knights are the ones that... And a lot of people go for knights, too, but knights you can fuck people up with, and rooks... For whatever reason, if you're careful with them, they can cross an entire board with no one noticing. 
Whereas with bishops, they can also do that, but I feel like it's a little trickier to keep them, keep track of them for me personally. My style is very rook and knight heavy. If I shared that with someone who was really good at chess ahead of time, I'd be fucked. Because they would know exactly how to destroy me. Sure. But for someone who is probably on my level, and I'm not ranked, I've never competed in chess... Um, I am 100% purely an amateur who likes to fucking play a chess game on my phone and play with my, like, friends and loved ones. I have a, and, and going back to my nerd cred, I have a Legend of Zelda commemorative chess set mm. where, like, the kings are Link and Ganondorf. Uh, the qu- the queens are Zelda and Impo- and uh, not Impona, Twin Rova. Uh, you've got Deku scrubs as pawns, and it's it's ridiculous. But and and so you real quick, you've you've touched on one of the things that I d- uh, just deeply love about chess. There aren't very many games that you can just weed out the basic play structure and have it still work no matter what the actual pieces are. I've always had a real appreciation and fascination for just the variety you can get when it comes to chess sets. I mean, sure, you know, we we've made every kind of monopoly over the sun, but it's always still going to be something where you pass go or go to jail playing cards. You can make whatever into playing cards, but like the tactile figurine of a chess set and just you can make damn near anything i've always thought that was so cool you know the legend of zelda chess set you're describing that sounds totally awesome and i can remember like seeing like like samurai chess sets star wars chess sets game of thrones chess sets or even take it the other way and go like hyper minimal and just like you know, carve a bunch of super pretty marble stones into, you know, whatever shapes you want and bam, you've got a chess set and you know, then it's all hoity-toity fancy. I know that this circle's the knight and I know this square is the rook, but like there's just something, there's something like transcending about that, that it doesn't matter if the knight is a horse or the king and queen have crowns. Like, you can just carve whatever the hell you think looks cool, and as long as you've got the right amount of pieces, bam, there's your chess set. Harry, you take the empty bishop square. Hermione, you'll be the queenside castle. As for me, I'll be a knight. I mean, if you wanted to, you could make a makeshift chess set out of two pieces of notebook paper and a pen. Yeah. Like, you just draw a checkerboard, you draw the 8x8 checkerboard on one sheet of paper, draw circles with, like, the, like a word or a symbol, 32 circles, tear them out, and there you go. You have a makeshift chess set. There's something punk rock about that that I love. It just, there is. Something podcast about that that I really, really love. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I know we're closing in on our 40-minute mark, and I... I have I adore this love fest. I don't want to wrap up without mentioning that I, I, I have a very personal connection to chess. 
Sure. It is a it it is the game my father taught me how to play. I don't know who t- you said you learned how to play from a chess club, Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's lovely. I never thought to. I, I never joined chess club in any school iteration because, frankly, I didn't want to participate uh, in most things. <laughs> it's very podcast of you. Yeah. No participate. <laughs> Um, but my dad taught me how to play chess. Like he, we, we had, we had a board cardboard with plastic pieces chess set. And then he actually had this fancy, like computerized chess set. Like I say computerized, it didn't have a screen or anything. It had a checkerboard where you press debt, where you're, when you set a piece down, you press down on it and it would like light it up on the grid and then you move it and it would and the computer would use the grid to like light up pieces against you but you could play two player that way and the computer could judge if moves were illegal or you could play against the computer it's awesome i i think he still has it somewhere i don't know that might be something that i like look for next time i go down but um but my dad taught me how to play chess my dad and i used to play chess i don't have a lot of personally endearing memories with my dad. Like there was, you know, he was, he worked a lot. He worked nights. He slept when he could. Like we, we didn't have the most cozy feeling relationship. I love our relationship. We're good, but like there was nothing bad about it, but there was some, I really treasure the moments of playing chess with my dad. When I went down for the holidays, I got to hang out with some of my baby cousins who I've never spent very much time with. I've saw them like, okay, I saw you once when you were a baby. I saw you again when you were four. Now you're seven. Like I, I haven't seen these kids much. And I found out that since they moved to Orlando and are living like 30 minutes away from my dad, he's taught them how to play chess. He taught my baby cousins how to play chess. And I'm sitting here just like, motherfucker, you're still doing this. Like, I love this. It's it's this <laughs> weird. I don't know. I, I, I don't. Andrew, I don't get sentimental on this podcast much. I don't get sentimental much, period, because I fear it as an emotion. Uh, I love therapy. Um, but I will always hold chess very, very close to my heart. Because it was the game that I played with my father. And it's a game that he's still teaching to the younger people in my family. And it's a game that I intend to continue teaching to the additional children in my family and in other families and to my friends who want to learn. I taught my wife how to play and we play on the cool Legend of Zelda chess set. And she's beaten me once. Just once. And she, we actually, she beat me once on a, like, it's, it's actually immortalized on Instagram on a giant chess set. Like, th- we found a, there was a coffee shop that had, like, weird shit all over it, uh, including a big giant chess set in the front yard. <laughs> so we played chess on a front yard, and the, it fucked me up, and it was like, there was something about the giant chess set that, oh, like, yeah. clicked with her brain really, really well and fucked with my brain horribly. Um, which is not to say she didn't deserve to beat me. She absolutely did. She played a hell of a game, but she beat me once. Yes. I remember those pictures and yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I laugh because I, I think it's beautiful and it's, it's, 
It's like laughing at a, a sweet newborn baby that is playing with <laughs> This is coming off meaner than I mean for it to. I, um, no, I, I, I really love that. I, I think it's beautiful and I, you know, I think it's great that you have this thing that you can hold on and remember with your dad. I, I've got great memories of my dad. Um, we would play like Pokemon card games or uh, there was a Harry Potter card game and we would only play until I beat him and then the game would be <laughs> bullshit and we would never play that game again. So I don't have the specific warm fuzzy with my Fair. father. And I never beat my dad. We stalemated once. And I hold on to that memory because I'm like, we, one time did we stalemate, <laughs> just sure. once. Every other time, he has always beaten me. And he taught me to play when I was like seven. So for 23 years, I've been coming for that throne. And I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. But yeah, chess. It's... It's a game that I think is pretty universal. You know, it's the game that, you know, death challenges you to. I had I had some more stuff about, like, just philosophical meanings I, I pull from the game. But at the end of the day, it's a game I love. It's a game I enjoy. I play it by myself, like, just with a computer on my phone. It's an exciting thing when I discover other people who like to play it. I love playing it with people. I don't even, I don't, I, I come off as more competitive than I actually am. I actually really don't mind losing. Like, because I just fucking enjoy the game, you know? <laughs> and and it meant a lot to me. And it's been on my list for a long time. And I wanted to talk about it today. So, I love chess, y'all. If any of you want to challenge me to chess, I am all for it. You just, you catch me outside. Uh, and we will go to a park and play some chess. Or we can... You can come on over and play it on my cool Legend of Zelda chess set. I've never played shot glass chess. That's something that's on my bucket list. Because that'd be interesting. Yeah. I've always wanted to do it, but that is a thing. Yeah. Um, but Yeah. Huh. Yeah, there's my love. Andy, do, do we want to unpack this, uh, this topic you're bringing? Unpack's the right word. Um, so... Without making this super topical, because it, it doesn't apply specifically to this, but we are recording uh, March 15th. Corona is running seemingly rampant across the nation. Um, like, we're not at Italy stage yet. We're not self-quarantining. We're not singing Katy Perry from our apartments at each other. But... I want to talk about why I really hate the mass panic that is spreading through at the very least the United States. Um, and we can touch upon just some non Corona related examples of this as well, but Christ. Yeah. Unpacks the right word, man, because this is just stupid. All right, let's get into it. In the wake of the coronavirus, it feels appropriate to vent about this issue. Like, I, this is one, I think I've written the least amount of notes I've ever written about this. But, like, just for for context, you cannot go on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, even TikTok right now without, like, 
this just being a, a, a prevalent thing. And if it's not people who are saying that it is, you know, like less, not, not as bad as the flu and questioning why people are uh, going out and buying out like 20 rolls of toilet paper. Like for every post you get that is like that, you get three more posts of people showing the pictures of empty grocery store like shelves or talking about how the infection rates are going up, talking about how, Oh my God, what are, what are we going to do? How are we going to get through this? And just like fear mongering and creating maybe more of an issue than there needs to be. And this is kind of nuanced in that, like, well, shit, I'm not sitting here at saying that the coronavirus is not, important it is not um something that doesn't deserve our full attention and i would rather people be more um cautious than not but But. i had a two-hour conversation with my wife the other night about well what do we do if they like close state lines and say no state to state travel or what do we do if our jobs basically say, yeah, don't come in for two weeks. We're not going to pay you, but we're not going to fire you either. Like it's, it's, it's something that we've had to talk about and figure out. And I don't appreciate people just panicking without a plan or without proper context and it's bumming me out, man. Like it, it, it really is. No, I, I get it. I, I went shopping yesterday, and it's funny because I, I was talking to Stephanie, and both of us are just kind of like, eh, eh. Like she's like her job has told her, all right, work from home for the next couple of weeks. She's got a job where she can work from home. Working from home is not an unusual thing for her. Awesome. So she's just like, okay, I guess I'm working from home for a couple of weeks. We were talking yesterday and she asked me to be, she, she asked me to double check a few of the just standard essentials that we normally have just to be like, make sure we have like tissues and toilet paper and shit like that. And I looked and I went, okay, we got enough that we're probably good for a couple of weeks. Um, I'll see if I can buy some more. I show up at Aldi yesterday. Like, they took the pallet for the toilet paper, Andrew. They took the pallet. They These motherfuckers took the wood underneath the toilet paper. Yeah, they're going to need That's that how much for f- burning at some point. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just sitting here like, really? Like why yeah, I, I mean, we can we can tie this in to something other than corona where like you know people tend to do this anytime a hurricane rolls through the eastern seaboard and sure i don't want to strike the wrong tone and say that natural disasters are not important you know just like last week or the week before there was a really awful tornado that went through Nashville, Tennessee and like people died. People have died in hurricanes, but like 
as a Floridian, <laughs> there's this this sense every time one rolls through that you spend weeks and weeks freaking over, freaking out over the projections. You buy all the shit you think you need. Then you buy some more. Then you buy a little more. If you're like me, you buy some liquor. You have a hurricane party. (laughs) And like, I don't want to say the names and and get them wrong, but like two two out of the last three hurricanes that were supposed to like mess some shit up didn't. And it wound up being like, okay, there was one day that was kind of rainy and it, it actually flew, you know, the last one flew up and actually hit North Carolina. And that was a bad thing, but people were freaking out. And like the thing that really sticks into my craw more than just people freaking out more than people just buying up all the toilet paper, which just to bring back to Corona, like just fucking making a toilet paper mummy out of yourself. Isn't going to help you so much. Yeah. But like the thing that really sticks in my craw is the people who then abuse the general sense of fear. Your Alex Joneses, your Jacob Walls, your grifters, your your fuckwads who buy entire pallets of hand sanitizer and then turn around and try to resell it on Amazon at double the price. Mm-hmm. And I won't give Amazon a lot of credit ever in my life. But to Amazon's credit, they shut that shit down as soon as they realized what was happening. Sure. I don't like people making other people afraid and needlessly being like, oh, no, 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 you got to get to the grocery store right now. You need to get all the toilet paper or... You know, for, for hurricanes, it's it's always water. It's like, okay, no, you need three cases of water minimum. There's one for you, one for your spouse, like like a case of water for everyone in your house. You need it. You don't know what's going to happen. And the, the anxiety that gets put on people spreads like a disease, like a virus. And this is totally like it just I feel like it leads people to ignore deeper seated issues like college students across the nation were were basically told, OK, hey, uh, it's Tuesday. Uh, you can't be here Friday. Sorry. Figure it out. Yeah, that's a problem to me. Yeah, it's. Okay, so my perspective on this is, because of who I am as a person, <laughs> to to criticize the institutions. Sure. Always. Because there there is an argument here to be had about how, uh, what's, what's, what's the men in black line? People are dumb, panicky animals, and you know it. Um... There's an argument to be had that people are dumb, panicky animals. That people let let's let's just talk about the toilet paper issue like in isolation. Sure. There are people who are so blinded by 
how good they have it in their lives. They have gaslit their existence to such a degree that they think toilet paper is an essential item to the degree that you will die without it. Andy, have you ever wiped your ass with a newspaper or a phone book Not or a Pizza with... Hut coupon flyer? <laughs> I love I love the specificity. Uh, none of those things, but like with like a paper towel, sure. Or like a napkin or hell. Y'all know you could like get a washcloth, wet it down, use that, then like clean it off like that's doable yeah fuck andy you're a boy scout like i'm pretty sure they give you alternatives in your fancy boy scout manual they certainly make sure we know which leaves not to wipe our ass with yeah the point is if you don't have a giant mound of toilet paper an irresponsible mound of toilet paper. <laughs> An Alex Jones of toilet paper. You piece of shit. You fucking goddamn fucker. There is the possibility that if we are in an extensive quarantine, you might be slightly uncomfortable. And that's it. Yeah. It's like... You run out of water. I, like, I get the hurricane thing. Like, they tell you to over-prepare for that shit. I do. I get that. But I also, because I'm a panic monster, understand the instinct of, okay, they told me I need one case per person, so I'm going to make sure that I have two cases per person because that's how you make sure that you're properly prepared. It's the same reason why when I had to train for a 5K, I decided to go, all right, to train for my 5K, I'm going to run a bunch of 10Ks. <laughs> because that's that's my instinct. That's my over-preparedness instinct. The problem is, if you just operate off of instinct and lack a conceit for consequence, for what that does to other people, for the dangers you pose as a panic monster, preparedness basically means I have my contingency and I have a reasonable contingency for my contingency. You have to understand you might be uncomfortable. You buy a little extra toilet paper and you go, hey, if I run out of toilet paper, look at all these Pizza Hut coupon flyers. <laughs> look at all these look at all these Bed Bath and Beyond mail outs that I've gotten. And, look and at that's... look at this phone book that I still get. Every single year for some reason. Yeah, You'll be absolutely. fine. You're just going to be uncomfortable for a minute. <laughs> but that, and that's but, the mindset that I really like struggle with. It's, it's not the people who just happen to have like 17 bottles of hand sanitizer because they'd accumulated it over the years. It's the people who like run their arm along the shelf of hand sanitizer and like freak out other people about why they don't have anything. Um, yeah. And I, and I started that rant to talk about institutions and it, the, the thing is I get why people are panicky like that, but when the institution fails to educate and address there's only so mad I'm going to be at, you know, 
Brenda at CVS, who decides that she needs to clean out the hand sanitizer. Like, I have more of a problem with Sean Hannity talking about the dangers of the Chinese flu, which is an actual term that Sean Hannity used in the last week. God. Like, it's, 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 it's the CDC putting out recommendations... And those recommendations consistently flying under the radar as people, for some reason, seem to think that hand sanitizer with less than 60% alcohol is somehow better than soap and goddamn water. Yeah. Because it's not. Like, it's... it's. I'm always going to blame my authority figures before I blame my masses. Sure. And, and that's a good point. And that ties into the last thing I wanted to talk about really nicely because I think about how like so the last the last big thing that I remember like people freaking out about from a viral standpoint was swine flu. Sure. And you know that hit while I was still in college. I don't remember if you had just graduated or not college, high school. I don't remember if you had just graduated or not. But like I remember there was a a tactile fear and there was the whisperings of oh oh we're gonna have to shut down high school for like a little bit so that we don't all catch swine flu which killed more people than corona and like was at least at this point a a greater epidemic maybe not worldwide but and i think about that and i think about how the numbers were worse from a like death count perspective and sure people were freaking out but people weren't like people weren't like this people weren't excuse me people weren't like telling their friends and neighbors okay be prepared to sit in your apartment for two weeks stock up get all the toilet paper get all the hand sanitizer and i can't help but think about how maybe part of that was because we trusted the people we put in power we uh we at least trusted barack obama and his administration a great deal more than a man who shakes the hands of two people who are confirmed to have coronavirus and then has the white house doctor say that there's no reason he needs to be quarantined maybe it's because we had somebody who three years prior hadn't fired the person whose job it was to like deal with global pandemic outbreaks and just never filled the position who's to say i i i purely hypothesize when i wonder if if we didn't have an orangutan and that's an insult to orangutans in office just blundering and boasting and like spreading dangerous misinformation and acting wholly inappropriately in the face of a viral pandemic that is sweeping the nation. If people subconsciously wouldn't be acting a little more like this is the first step of the apocalypse. I don't know. I could totally be like on a limb here, but I mean, how do I put this? This was going to be a problem regardless of who was in office. If we had a Hillary Clinton presidency, this was going to be a problem. 
how problems are addressed, I'm with you. Prevention is nine-tenths of the cure. In the case of vaccination, that is literally true. And, yeah, I mean, it's... I don't trust institutions at the best of time. I don't trust, like... I don't trust people to take care of us at the best of time. And it's it bears out, you know? It continuously bears out. And for perspective's sake, like... Andy, you and I were not around during the Cold War. But motherfuckers were building bomb shelters and loading them up with canned goods because they expected nuclear winter. Yeah. Like, it's... People will always have fear, especially people of great privilege. Because when you have privilege and that privilege is even a little bit shaken... The response is frequently violence and panic. It's the reason why when there are natural disasters, sometimes the best people to turn to for community management are your chronically homeless. Yeah. It's usually your veterans and your chronically homeless. And frequently, your veterans also happen to be chronically homeless. That's another rant, but like, <laughs> no, it's, it's the people who, when you don't know what a crisis looks like and when you have put all of your trust into a stack of institutions, into a media environment that likes to keep your fear levels high so that you keep watching into an administrative environment where they just want you to tr shut up and trust them yeah. into a healthcare and financial environment where you basically tell everybody, look, you've got insurance and the stock market's doing well. What do you have to worry about? When you live, when you live under these systems and most of the time, you happen to be privileged enough to not really be dealing with any significant bullshit, no severe discomfort. When your comfort is interrupted, the object is panic. The result is panic. You lose your compassion. You lose your fucking mind. And I don't have a good solution for that beyond recognizing how profitable it is for you to panic sure because panic makes money yep <laughs> i'm sorry i don't want to be cynical i no, just no no i mean it's it's just true you know speaking of alex jones um he very quietly doubled the cost of his bulk food that you can buy off of fucking Infowars, like a couple weeks ago right as this thing was like really starting to kick into gear and just figured that no one would notice he was literally charging double. Like you're not wrong. I think I couldn't figure out why this bothered me so much. And you hit the nail on the head because at the end of the day, the money makers, the people in power have a better margin. If everybody is buying fucking shelves of toilet paper and a desk of Cheez-Its and freaking the hell out so 
Shit sucks. Shit's stupid. I hate it. I, I respect any victims. I, on a personal level, I am worried about the elderly and the, you know, immune compromised people in my life. I really don't want this thing to just ravage the nation. And, you know, H1N1 has killed more people. That doesn't mean either of these are okay. I'm not saying there's a certain level of death that needs to happen before panic is appropriate, but the mass panic, especially perceived needless mass panic, very much bothers and upsets me. And I don't have a solution for it either. Just just felt topical. <laughs> Shit yeah, sucks. no, I mean, it's, okay, so this episode's <laughs> coming out first week of April. It is currently the Ides of March, March 15th. I'm assuming that shit will still be kind of going down, but even if it's not, like, the guideline moving forward, the guideline for everyone, whether you're in this crisis or you're not in this crisis, number one, wash your fucking hands. Yep. Number two, be kind to one another. Number three, don't trust your leaders. (laughs) Like, ever. Like... That's that's the, the 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 mark of a good anarchist is not that you want to destroy all institutions. It's that every institution must always and consistently and constantly be justifying its own existence. And when you all get shot and cannot carry on, though you die, la resistance lives on. And I think that's a good rule, personally. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I don't talk about I don't talk about being like a pretty uh, being a soft anarchist on this podcast very often, but like it's there. Um, and number four, if you're stuck inside, I don't know, play chess. Who who the fuck knows? You want to get to our question? Yes, yes, I do. But send us your your uh, chess results. If we got to self quarantine hard, enough, oh yeah, like. There's no reason we can't all play one big, weird Twitter version of chess. <laughs> sure. Oh, God. We got an interesting yeah. one this time. So do you want to read this or shall I? Uh, I'll go ahead. Okay. So. This is another relationships.txt. But this one is juicy. I didn't feel like, uh, I didn't feel like passing up on it. So. I, a 25-year-old female, am genuinely in love with my brother-in-law, a 40-year-old Thank male, you. and I cannot stop this feeling. Uh, and and the suspicion is that this person is on Reddit. Yeah. He came to our lives when he was dating my older sister, who was 27 at the time. I was only 14. He was such a looker, handsome, fit, successful, self-made man, kind, caring, protecting, etc. The perfect man any Asian parents would approve. I'd say he is the best thing that has ever happened to my family. I never have had a father figure. Home situation was a mess. Here he came, swooped in, and saved the day figuratively. He took care of my sister, married her, paid for all of our tuitions, debts, and so on. The list of his awesomeness is so long. Where was our mom? She was a train wreck. Absent all the time, debt issues, etc. Raised by narcissist material. Now, here's the thing. From 14 until now, so about 11 years, living with them, I have grown deeply, deeply in love with him. 
every year I grew ever more jealous of my older sister. I don't think she is taking good care of him. She is quite spoiled now. She forgot our hardships before she met him, and she is home all the time and still super lazy, using Uber Eats and cleaning services all the time. I often think that I would make a better wife for him. I am much more of a hard worker. I have a bright future ahead of me for my career. I help cook, clean. I know what I want. I know what he wants, specifically a child, which my sister does not want. I am younger. I can give him a child, etc. I know this is not good. I know that it is wrong. Several times I play it bad by wearing something mini in front of him. Nothing happens, I swear. This feeling is driving me nuts. I really, really want him. I see two paths ahead of me. One is pretty dark, I think. What can I do from here? I need advice. (sighs) (laughs) Trying to think if there's any any of the tragedies or any of like... Any any Shakespearean figures? This feels very Greek tragic. It feels very dangerous liaisons is what it feels like. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Dangerous Liaisons is an absolutely wonderful play. I mean, the original, let, let me think. It was originally called Les Liaisons Dangerousso. That's which right. is my terrible, terrible French <laughs> accent, um, based on the uh, Christopher Hampton play, and then it was made into a Glenn Close movie. And then didn't they also make like a contemporary retelling in like the '90s with Sarah Michelle Gellar and somebody else? Yes, yes, they totally did. Um, which I think was also Dangerous Liaisons, but I might be off the mark there. It was Cruel Intentions. Was that the, was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God. And, uh, that, that feels like where we're going to pull this from here. <laughs> All right, Cruel Intentions. Uh, oh, God. And so the main character in Cruel Intentions, Sarah Michelle Geller, uh, Sarah Jessica, Sarah Michelle Geller's character was Catherine Myrtley. I don't remember if that makes her the bad one or the good one but we're 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 gonna we're gonna go with (laughs) i mean this this feels like one that's gonna need a parentheses of like sarah sarah michelle geller from cruel intentions (laughs) no matter what we call her that's that's fine catherine metui catherine metui and if i win i'll give you something you've been obsessing about ever since our parents got married oh it's terrible. Hate it. <laughs> Hi, yeah, Catherine. Uh, Hi, I Catherine. read the question, so Alex, you go ahead and, and speak first. Oh, boy. Um, I feel like I should start with our, uh, you know, fairly frequent disclaimer. Catherine. Therapy. Yeah. Therapy. Counseling. Time with mental health professionals would go a long way towards this. Okay. I feel like I don't say this often enough. We said this a lot in the earlier episodes, but, you know, Andy and I are not mental health professionals. I certainly would not feel comfortable trying to diagnose you with anything. I have had a fair amount of therapy. I am not a therapist. I've read books. 
I'm about as qualified, I am more qualified to judge your chess game than I am to judge your mental state. Let's put it that way. But I'm going to say this. You have known this particular individual, um, let's call him Sebastian, because that's Ryan Philippe's character in Cruel Intentions. You have known him for a lot of your formative years, and he has been very important to you in that regard. And I don't want to tell you that it is wrong of you, wrong for you to have strong positive associations with him. That said, you talk about being in love with him, and I don't want to write off your feelings. That said, you say yourself that he's been the father figure to you since you were 14. And that is grounds enough to question if what you're feeling is love or some other more toxic, possessive, obsessive, problematic, other associated feeling. It doesn't matter if your sister in your perspective doesn't cook or clean or what have you that's already like a fairly was a fairly singular fairly unfair fairly narrow view of marriage um the child situation like okay your sister doesn't want a child he does want a child that's between them and their marriage believe it or not um so you putting that as like some little docket on your on your end here is kind of troubling you have a very immature view of marriage you have a very immature view of relationships you have a very immature view of love based on what is provided here especially because your version of acting on this is to like did, did, did i read it correctly andrew that like they're trying to like wear oh yeah yeah, I, I mean, feel, it's, I play it's, it bad by wearing something mini in front of him. I, I wonder if there's a, a translation thing going on, but the sense I get is that Catherine is wearing, you know, revealing clothing around Sebastian in a, you know, porno level effort of seduction. Yeah, that also screams to me that you have an immature view of all of this stuff. I hope that Sebastian is healthy. I hope that Sebastian is, like, in a good place about his life, is a stable, secure, mentally fit individual. You clearly need help. Because your reactions here, none of them are reading like a person who is having a genuine love connection and wants to pursue it in a healthy way. You seem to have some, it seems to me, rather, in my non-professional psychological understanding, like you have foisted some possession feelings onto him, maybe because you lack security in other forms of your life or have in your childhood, and you view him as this safe, secure fig figure, and that projection is causing you to... Number one, act out in some really toxic ways. And number two, confuse this obsession with 
love. It does not sound like love to me. And you should really talk to somebody who can help you suss out what these feelings actually are. Andrew? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with a lot of that, Catherine. The best thing you say is that you know that it is not good to be feeling and acting the way that you are. And so you are at least cognizant that what you're doing is not the way this is supposed to go. To answer the specific question, what can I do is not go down the dark road and... The most optimistic spin I can put on this, because, you know, I agree, this doesn't sound quite like love to me. This sounds like a very unfortunate situation where the only real strong male presence in Catherine's life has become a bit of a obsession point because they are the only strong male presence and have been for over a decade it sounds like you got a lot going for you in that like you yourself say you're a hard worker. You know what you want. You have a bright future. You you have a, a career ahead. I don't think it would be terribly difficult for you to find somebody who is not your brother-in-law, but has a lot of the qualities you like and respect about your brother-in-law um, and to be able to recognize that what you're doing is not okay and instead reinvest your efforts in finding another partner is kind of the best case scenario here. Like, that's not even getting into, like, you, you definitely need therapy. You need... if a conversation with your sister, if not your sister and Sebastian, if for no other reason than to like figure out how much of this is you totally assuming, you know, it, it, Alex made the really good point that it is archaic to sit here and say that the wife needs to cook clean and bear children or else it's not a successful marriage. Um, and the real, a, a completely separate question is whether or not Sebastian is happy in his marriage. That's not your place to figure out. And it's not your place to antagonize by playing the ingenue seductress, this person that he has basically watched go through puberty and is now parading around in miniskirts. Like that is very, pornographic in the immature sense and talking about it seriously is pretty gross it may go ahead no you go ahead well just i was going to repeat i mean the best the best thing you can do i think is get out of that house get away from the situation and you know what you want you need to square that it's not Sebastian, it's not your brother-in-law, but it is somebody with the qualities of him. That's all, that's yeah. what I got. Yeah. I I don't know if it helps or not, but it is actually not a terribly uncommon situation for he is not your stepfather. But 
Yeah. It is a fairly common issue for children of households where there was there where there have been kind of unstable parental figures and then a stable step parent comes in to the realm and and experiencing these kinds of inappropriate and they are inappropriate feelings for that step parent where the where there's an idea that the step parent has you know my stepfather has come in and fixed everything and my life is so much better now and oh god oh no i'm in love with my stepfather now i bet i could take care of him better than my stepmother could like children of those situations that is that is normal enough that it is an entire thing it, it is an entire subject that uh, that therapists dealing with broken families regularly contend with. I'm not saying it happens in every single case, but, you know, that's not an unusual situation. It's not unheard of by any stretch of the imagination. And it's a lot of what you're describing here. Like, that's a fairly normal issue. And it's inappropriate, and it needs to be addressed. Because, frankly, yeah, I'm sorry, your feelings are inappropriate. They are. I, I that's that I like to be reassuring to most people and I like to be like, your feelings are valid and what you're feeling is valid and love can look so many ways. And that's absolutely true. And this isn't love. This is trauma. And this is unexamined bullshit that you need to work through. So I like Andy's idea of getting out of the house. I really, I'm sorry, I just, I think you need therapy, Catherine. I think that you need to examine all of this from another lens. I think you need distance. I think you need to not try and get in the middle of your sister and your brother-in-law. I think you know the right way. I think you know the right thing to do. And I think you're turning to Reddit to try and give you an idea of, like, it being okay. And it's not. Yeah, you know, my final thought is there's there's an undercurrent of negative feeling, not quite resentment, but you you cite that your sister you, you feel like your sister does not appreciate the man that she has and has forgotten where she came from. There's if nothing else, there's some intense negative feeling there. You wanna make it worse by stealing her husband? Like Hmm. So, please, please hear this somehow, Catherine, <laughs> um, and and seek out the help that you need. Love can be beautiful, but we're in agreement that what you have specifically listed is not love. And that has been love hate relationship. If you want to yeah. send in your relationship questions, even intense interfamilial ones like this. Um, and get our perfectly unqualified advice. We are happy to have them. And you can send those into love, hate relationship podcast at gmail.com. We promise we'll read them. Absolutely. You can subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even tune in radio. Hey mom. Uh, we would also love it. Absolutely adore it. If you reviewed us on any, or really any, uh, all of those, all of those, all of those, um, 
You can tweet us at LHRPod, that's L-H-R-P-O-D, with your questions, and you can follow us there to keep up with new episodes. While you're self-quarantining, uh, feel free to go through our backlog, and that's where you can rate us everywhere. Um, and you can also, once you've listened to all 43 of our episodes and you still want more, I have another podcast called Cult Fiction where I watch shitty cult movies with the incomparable Stephanie Johnson. And at some point, um, Alex will be guest starring. <laughs> you can also pipelines, find pipelines, me. Pipelines, pipelines, pipelines. <laughs> you can also find me, Andy Boyle, at JovoCop2113 on Twitter. And I'm at A underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z on both Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening, y'all. Be safe out there. Wash your hands. Don't trust the government. And tell your enemies. (laughs) 